Well, hey friends, it is great to have you join us today. My name is Clay Monkus, and I am the lead pastor here at Next Level. And it is so great that I am back with you guys this week. Well, last week, Pastor Doug kicked off a brand new series for us that we're calling Prove It. And in it, we said that there are many times that we are asked to prove ourselves. Sometimes you got to um, present your driver's license as proof of ID, right? Or you have to pass a test to prove that you actually know the content. Or you submit bank statements to prove you can pay for a loan. Or in math, you guys remember this, you had to show your work. Why? To prove you understood how you solved the problem. There are lots of times that we have to prove something in life. But have you ever thought about what proves you are a follower of Jesus? There are a lot of things that people think you don't do in order to prove that you're a Christian, right? And there are a lot of things that people think, well, if you do those things, it proves that you're a Christian. But what if we're looking, what the, the thing is that we're looking in this series is what is it that Jesus himself has said is the proof that you are one of his followers? And it's interesting that Jesus told us exactly what it is. He didn't leave it ambiguous. He didn't leave it to the professionals to determine. He told us, and you can see what he says right here in John chapter 13, verse 35. He says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Now, how does he say that you prove that you're one of his disciples? By church attendance? By, by how long you pray? By, by how much Bible you read? By not doing bad things? No, None of that. Now, all of those are really great things. I don't want to say that any of those are bad, and you should be practicing those things in your life. But Jesus said that the proof to those around us will be how well that we love each other. And this, more than any time in my life, it is vitally important for the church and for Christianity as a whole to understand this. And for us as a local church, if we're going to accomplish our mission to raise the reputation of Jesus where we live, work, and play, we have to get this right. We have to love one another with a radically different kind of love. Because if you watch the news or you scroll through social media, you know that Christianity, well, it's not really doing well these days, especially here in America. Uh, let me show you some statistics or talk to you about some statistics uh, to give you an idea of what we're talking about. In 1997, 86% of all Americans considered themselves to be Christians. By 2017, just 10 years later, that number had dropped to 76%. Now, just four years later, according to Pew Research, in 2021, that number has dropped to 63%. That's shocking. Because that number represents tens of thousands of people. That's a very significant number in that short amount of time. In fact, if that trend continues, uh, it wouldn't be long, you know, maybe 100 years or so, before Christianity is really just a blip on the radar as far as our country is concerned. Now, couple that with a stat that says only 18.7% of all Americans regularly attend church. And now, nearly 60% of all Christians between the ages of 15 and 29 no longer actively are involved in a church, right? That's 60% of Christians in that particular age group who have said, we really have no use, no purpose for the church. And I could spend the entire message just going through statistics like this over and over that don't look good for the church. Now, as a pastor, 
When I look at these kinds of stats, I have to ask, well, why? Why do things look so bleak for us? Now, trust me when I say there are not only reports, there are entire books that are written trying to explain why Christianity, at least in our country, for the most part, uh, is not doing so well in our country. But I think I can boil it down to this. I think the church has done a very poor job of helping you guys understand who Jesus is and what the church does. And because we failed at helping you understand who Jesus is and what the church does, I think the vast majority of people have said, "Mm, we're not really that interested. Now, I've talked about this before, and I really believe this to my core. Religion tends to complicate what Jesus made simple. All religions, including Christianity, we tend to make it complicated. And by this, what I mean is Jesus is not confused at all about what his mission was. But for some of us, we've complicated it, and we've added stuff to it, and we've manipulated it to the point that a lot of people are saying, well, I don't want any part of that. But you have to understand, it wasn't confusing to Jesus. This is important because there really is a big and growing number of people who are deconstructing their faith in Jesus. And most of them, not all of them, are doing it because of all the stuff they see the church has added to the definition of what it takes to be a Christian. Because it doesn't line up with what they see Jesus doing and teaching. Or worse, they see churches and Christians doing the exact opposite of what Jesus said or taught. And if that is your story, man, I get it. I really do. I meet so many people these days that, that, that are there. Their problem is not with what Christians believe. It's with how Christians act. In fact, I'm meeting with someone who had told me that they don't want to attend a church because they honestly believe that if they attend a church, it will make them a worse person. And depending on the church, I understand what he's saying. There are a few churches out there focusing on what Jesus says matters most, but there are also a lot of churches that are focused on things that don't. So if that is you, I get it. I'm I'm with you. I'm tired of the mean-spirited, stupid arguments that are absolutely crippling the message and the movement of Christianity. Now, where I differ with my friends who are kind of tearing down the church. I I don't want to reject the church. I want to change the church. I want to reform the church. I, I don't want to bail out on the church. In fact, I would say I am more convinced than ever of the importance of the message of Jesus and the community that he desired to create in this world. I believe it more than ever. That's why I say I don't want to bail on the church. Am I frustrated? By the way, a lot of Christians act. Absolutely. But when you boil down Christianity, and I think that's what we need to do, we need to define it, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it look like? How can we prove that we are, in fact, following the way of Jesus? And again, Jesus is the one who had no confusion whatsoever on this. So what I want to do with the rest of the series is to build a case for what it really means to follow Jesus. How do we prove that we are one of his followers? And so today, I want to start with Jesus and what he had to say about Christianity. It's a good starting place, right? And then I want us to look at what the disciples, the ones who immediately followed Jesus, what they had to say about Christianity was. And then we're going to fast forward a little bit and look through the first 300 years of the church and say, what did they really believe 
that Christianity was. So let's start with Jesus. He had a lot to say about who he was and what Christianity was about. So let's jump to Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. And someone approaches Jesus and says, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and a second is equally as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Now, what he's saying is everything can be boiled down to two commandments. And I can't talk about one without talking about the other. These two go together. He says all the laws... Everything that you read in Scripture should be put through a filter of how well, how well are you doing it loving God and loving people. Jesus says this is what Christianity is about. He's saying life is just one big lesson on love. Life isn't about acquisition or how much you get. Life isn't about accomplishment and how much you do. Life isn't about achievement and how much you can earn. He says it boils down to how well you love. Everything that you experience in life is a lesson on how you love God and how you love people. Jesus says that there are two most important things. And if you can get this, you'll get life. But if you miss this, you'll waste your life. Now, why is this so important to Jesus? Good question. Think about the culture that Jesus is in. Jesus is in a culture that was quite religious. By the time Jesus arrives, they had taken 10 commandments and they had expanded them to 613 different laws or commandments. And by this time, religious life was all about do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. It was all about following the rules. It was about behavioral modification. Now, to be clear... Jesus had no problem with the 613 laws other than it wasn't producing love. What was it producing? It was producing people who were full of all kinds of knowledge, but they were arrogant. They were judgmental, and they certainly were not loving. So what Jesus is saying is, hey, something's wrong. Something's broken here. So we're not going to put the focus on sinning less. We're going to put the focus on loving more. And here's why. What Jesus understood that most of us still don't get is this. Focusing on sinning less does not guarantee that you will love more. You can focus your whole life on sinning less. It will not guarantee that you love more, right? We all seem to know that. It doesn't guarantee that, right? It guarantees that you're going to focus on sinning less. But if you focus on loving more, it will lead to sinning less, right? If you'll focus on loving more, you'll actually accomplish what it is that you think you need to accomplish. Jesus understood this. So he's defining for us what it means to be a disciple of his. What does it mean to really be a follower of Jesus? Well, let's go back to the verse that I put up earlier, and let's add the verse before it. John chapter 13, 34 and 35. He says, so now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I has loved you. So you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Seems simple, right? 
It is. It really is that basic. Again, there's no confusion for Jesus on this idea of Christianity. Love one another. That's it. He's defining it for us. What does it mean to be a disciple? Love each other. And he says, here's how we're going to define discipleship. We're going to define discipleship by how well you love other people. Now, today, in the church, we have a lot of confusion over what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, don't we? Right? I've got a lot of pastor friends. And um, I, some, it's embarrassing to admit this, but sometimes when we get together as friends, we do some unpastorly types of things. And one of those unpastorly types of things is we get caught up talking about other churches, and sometimes not in good ways. And what I've found uh, that we tend to do is we only talk bad about other churches that are growing really fast. Right? The little church on the corner that's not growing or really doing anything, we love that pastor. I mean, he's like the nicest guy in the world, okay? We have no problem with that guy. But when pastors get together and they see a church that's just blowing up and exploding, we always have to jump on the, well, there's something going on that we don't know over there, right? And it's either like the guy's a really good leader, but he's a jerk, or he's a horrible at his theology, but, but we're really quick to jump to criticism. Now, sometimes in those conversations, I'll hear another pastor say about another church, that church is really growing, but there's some real issues there. And you know me, I like to ask questions. Well, what do you mean? Like, what are you talking about? Well, I don't know if you know, but I'm pretty sure it's a mile wide and an inch deep, he'll say. And I'll say, well, what does that mean? Well, there's no discipleship there. Oh, okay. Well, what do you mean by that? What does that mean? There's no discipleship. Well, they're reaching people like crazy, but nobody knows the Bible. There's no discipleship there. Now, you see what we're doing there? What we're doing is defining discipleship by how much you know. That's not how Jesus defined discipleship at all. Jesus defined discipleship really with one simple question that we can ask of ourselves. What does love require of me? What does love require of me? That's it. That's discipleship. Discipleship is in your marriage is asking, what does love require me in my marriage? Discipleship in your parenting is asking, what does love require me in this parenting situation? Discipleship, for those of you who are dating, what does love require of me in this dating relationship? What does love require of me at work? What does love require me on my campus? What does love require me? That is how Jesus defines the whole idea of discipleship. It all comes back to one simple question. What does love require of me? How well am I doing in that? Now, I'll tell you another way. Thankfully, it's not often, but from time to time, I'll have people send an email saying that they're leaving our church. And the reason you know, they give for leaving is that they want deeper teaching. Now, I, to be honest, there are a hundred good reasons to, to leave any church, to leave Next Level or any church, right? But leaving a church because you need deeper teaching, if I'm being honest, is one of the lamest excuses that I've ever heard in my life. To leave not just our church, any church. You can leave a church for lots of reasons. You can leave a church because you don't like their style of teaching. Okay, that's fair. You can leave a church because they're not preaching the Bible. I get it. Okay, that's fair. But leaving a church because you don't think that pastor's teaching is deep enough, that's lame. And here's why. 99.9% of us are educated far beyond our obedience. Right? We don't need to know more. We just need to be obedient 
to what we already know. So the tendency is to define discipleship by what we know. That's not the way it works. Jesus says, you want deep? Love God, love others. But over time, what we have done is this. What the church has done is leverage what we know instead of how we love. And you know why? That's easier. It's just easier. It's a lot easier to define spiritual maturity by what you know than how well you love. Because loving is going to cost you. It's going to cost you a lot. And in the beginning, this is exactly what the church did. They just loved and loved well. So much so that Peter writes this in 1 Peter 4, 8. Now, he's writing this about three decades after the events of Jesus on earth. Jesus has been gone for about three decades. And during those first few decades, Christians are beaten, they're imprisoned, Christians are executed. So you have a church that's very scattered. So Peter's writing to them to say, hey, let's stay centered. Let's stay focused. I, I know things are rough, but I want you to know this. And he reminds them once again of what is most important. Look at it. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. Most important of all, those are his words, not mine, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. He's saying, hey, don't forget this. Love each other. That's what we're about. We're going to stay focused on that. Just love each other. It's the most important thing. That's Peter. And then sometime later, the apostle John says something similar. And by the time he's writing this, John knows Peter has been crucified. He knows about Paul being beheaded. He has seen crazy amounts of bloodshed over all the Christians in his life. He has lived through Nero, who was one of the most persecuting emperors of Christians. He's at the end of his life, and after everything he's seen, everything that he's experienced, this is what he has to say to those early church Christians. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7-11. through 11. Dear friends, let us continue to what? Love one another. For love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but... Anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed us how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. And then get this, dear friends, since God has loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. So he's saying, Right? He's laying out the gospel here, saying it's all about love. And because of what God has done for us, surely we're going to love other people. And we know from history that's exactly what the early church did. And that's why they started to explode. In the first two or 300 years of the church, there were a couple of different plagues that went on. You can read about them in history. And during that time, the bishop of Alexandria writes this letter where he's talking about the Christians and what they've done. Look at this. Again, this is not scripture, but read what the bishop writes. Most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking of only one another. It sounds a little bit scriptural, doesn't it? Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ, and with them departed this life serenely happy. The heathen behaved in a very opposite way. At the first onset of disease, they pushed sufferers away, and they fled from their uh, dearest, throwing them into the roads before they were dead to be treated unburied corpses as dirt, hoping thereby to overt the spread of the contagion of the fatal disease. What the bishop is saying is, hey, let me tell you why Christianity is growing. 
is because these Christians moved towards the disease. They moved towards the sick. Everybody else treated them like corpses, like you would expect everyone to treat a corpse, right? That you would get away, a disease might kill you, but this made no sense to the Christians who would do this. They would be compassionate in this kind of way. They gave these early Christians a name. It's a really cool name. It's a Greek name called the Parabolani. And the term, as we translate it, actually means reckless ones. Because the way that they were behaving was reckless. They were called the reckless ones because what they were doing was crazy. So anytime there was a dangerous situation, there was somebody, anyone who needed to be loved or served that nobody else wanted to love or serve, these parabolani, the reckless ones, they would move towards it, and that's what they would do. So history tells us not only would they do this with those who had all kinds of different contagious disease, but they, uh, <clears throat> there was a dangerous criminal who had been caught and thrown into a dungeon. Guess who would go see them? The Parabolani, the reckless ones. These early Christians who took Jesus serious when he said, love one another. Then, a couple of emperors after Constantine, there's an emperor by the name of Julian. And this emperor, he didn't like the fact that Christianity was taking over the empire and spreading like wildfire. So he wants to bring paganism back. And so we have a portion of a letter that he wrote where he's frustrated. He's writing to these pagan priests, trying to train them, help them understand why Christianity was taking off. And this is what he wrote. So I want to look at this here. So this is Emperor Julian who said, Recent Christian growth is caused by the moral character, even if pretended, and by their benevolence towards strangers. So Christianity is growing not because of their awesome messages, not because of their amazing worship services, not because of their dynamic age-related ministries that they offer, not because they have cool buildings and cool music and all of that kind of stuff. Rather, it's because of their benevolence, their love towards strangers. And it goes on. I think that when the poor happen to be neglected and overlooked by the pagan priest, the impious Galileans observe this and devote themselves to benevolence. The impious Galileans not only support their poor, but ours as well, too. Everyone that can see that our people lack aid from us. So you have in this pagan emperor, he's like, hey, the reason the whole Christian thing has taken off, the reason we can't stop this movement is because they are recklessly loving and taking care of our people. And we can't stop it. It's unbelievable to him. He's just shocked and stunned. And so, here we are today, a couple of thousand years later, and we have people that won't attend a church service because they believe it will make them a worse person. But you got the early Christians who are described as reckless in their love for others. Makes you wonder why the exact same movement that believed the exact same thing could change so radically over time. On one hand, one group is just exploding with growth, and on the other, we have a group that is slowly dying. Again, there is no difference in what we believe. Both us and the early Christians, we both believe the same thing, but one group understood that the central message of Jesus was love, and not just love, reckless love, and they did it. So my question for us, when did the church stop leveraging love? 
When did the church stop leveraging love? See, I believe the only thing that we're supposed to impose on non-Christians in our world, right, is, is, is if we imagine we're Christians, that we just gave and loved and outserved everyone in a pagan world. That's the gift we give to them. I believe this is Jesus' message to our church. You don't have to be the smartest. You don't have to be the deepest. You don't have to be the richest. You don't have to be the prettiest people. But you must be the most loving people that people encounter. You must be loving. Jesus says, I'm betting the farm on this. Everybody will know that you are mine. Everybody will know that you have my signature, that you have my stamp, that you are my disciple. By what? By the way that you recklessly love each other. Now, I'm just dreaming. But do you think that there actually could be another community like that Jesus community? that so recklessly loved other people that our friends, the one who have given up on church, might reconsider? Do you think that there could be a church that's so loving that people who never thought that they would actually be in the same room beside people who are different racially, different ethnically, different culturally, economically, sexually, morally, and generationally, that they might be able to put aside all of their differences? To understand who the person of Jesus really is. Do you, do you think that there could be a kind of place where people would say, you know what? I don't necessarily believe everything they believe. I don't even understand everything they teach. But I sure would like to be a part of a community that loves like that. So my challenge for us over the next couple of weeks is to ask ourselves, what does it look like? for me to recklessly love the people in my life? What would it look like for you to recklessly love your husband? You say, yeah, Clay, but you don't know my husband. I mean, he is a first class, you know, fill in the blank. I, I, I get it. Some of you are like, I would like to recklessly love my boss, but you don't understand my boss. Listen, I get it. Everyone in your life is an idiot but you, okay? I get it. But what would it look like if you were to begin to love all of these people? To, to those of you that are here that either have given up on Christianity or you're thinking about giving up on Christianity, let me just say a word to you because I have a real heart for you. I, I get it, probably more than you know that I get it. I, I'm sure that it can seem like Christians are a bunch of mean, I hope everyone goes to hell kind of people. The kind of people that get caught up in stupid arguments online or in person and the petty religious hoops that they go through. I get it, but that's not true of all of us. So I want to beg you, don't give up. Don't, don't gear, dare give up on Jesus. Don't give up on the community that he dreamed of. And, and I really am sorry that you've been hurt. I, I'm sorry that you now feel disenfranchised. But listen, don't miss what Jesus has done for you because of what the church did to you. Don't miss it. And for the rest of us, those that bear the name of Jesus, those who have called on his name, let's make sure that we are doing better. Let's commit or recommit to making Jesus the main thing, our main thing. Let's prove to everyone around that we're a follower of Jesus, not by how much we know, but by how well we love the people around us. I know you love Jesus. Now let's go prove it. Let's pray. Jesus, you know better than I do how desperately our community needs a group of Christians to lead the way in loving recklessly. 
There's a constant stream of negative news surrounding people who claim your name. There are even people who have found a way to use your name and your words as a way to isolate and mistreat people. So Jesus, just forgive us for this. And Jesus, we commit ourselves to going a different direction, to being your true disciples. Show us where we can love. Point out where we can even recklessly love people around us. Help us to lay aside pointless arguments and divisions and become unified around the thing that you said was of primary importance. Love God with all of our heart and to show that we love him by loving our neighbor as ourself. Jesus, help us. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, hey, friends, thanks for joining us today. If you think today's message might be valuable to someone you know, would you mind sharing this video? Not only could it be helpful for them, but by sharing this content, as well as liking and subscribing to this channel, you help us to accomplish our mission to raise the reputation of Jesus. And along those lines, each and every week, I ask you to do this. Could you head over to our website at nextlevelchurch.org? You'll notice a big green give button at the top right. Uh, if you'll choose that green give, click on that green, green give button. Choose one of those giving options that's there. Your faithful support to us helps us raise the reputation of Jesus where we live, work, and play. We really can't do it without your uh, financial support. Now, by way of benediction, let me read John 13, 35 again. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. May you prove that you are a disciple of Jesus. May you love recklessly, and may that love lead many to everlasting life. Hey, guys, have a blessed week. I'm praying for you. I love you. We'll see you back here next week.